If you've um, not been with us over the last couple of weeks, you can download our messages on, uh, from our website on podcast so you can catch up uh, with where we are Okay, this morning. And um, this morning we're looking at um, uh, an interesting subject really, um, and, and one that I think has got, there's a lot of misunderstanding around this subject. And just to kind of set the frame for it, um, how many of you have ever been in a car journey uh, with, uh, you're in the front, okay, if you're an adult, uh, with, with, you know, two of you or one of you or whatever, and there's kids in the back, and you're going on a long car journey, maybe you're going down to Devon, or maybe you're going down to um, Cornwall or something, and, and, you're in, and you're, you've got all the car packed with, with all your clothes and, and all that stuff, and the kids are in the back, and they're all ready, and you literally pull off the drive, and you haven't even got to the end of the road, and one of the kids asks a question, what is the question? Are we there yet? And when I was a kid, and that happened, okay, and when I, answered, when I asked that question, are we there yet, I was often given a very defin- definitive no, and that was it. Okay, then if I was to ask a second question, when will we be there? My parents, in all honesty and transparency, wouldn't have been out to tell me the answer. Because it was a long time ago when I was a kid. All right? But now, if your kids ask you, are we there yet? Your mum or your dad, if you're a young person, or you if you're not, you'd be able to push a button on a sat-nav and you say, we're not there yet. If you're asking how long, it'll be two hours, 30 minutes and 43 seconds, and we'll be there. And if on the route... You know, there was, a, there was traffic or whatever, you turn off the route, your sat nav will tell you exactly where to go, where to turn right, where to turn left. It will guide you every step of the way and give you a precise ETA on when you're going to arrive at your destination. Now, does God lead our lives like a sat nav? I wish He did. <laughs> And if the answer to the question is no, that we're not given that amount of detail and we're not guided every step of the way, where to turn right, where to turn left, and we're not told when we're going to arrive at the destination, here's the question. Can I then trust my one and only life into the hands of this God? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. And um, just to recap, hundreds, thousands of years ago, this guy, this young guy called David wrote a psalm. Or you could say it's a song or a poem, just over a hundred words. He began, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's become the most famous bit of the whole Bible. Maybe even more famous than the Lord's Prayer in many, in many aspects. But we often associate it with a psalm for death and for funerals. But it's actually it's a psalm for life. And if we could apply these hundred or so words to our lives, every single one of us, we would live life now. And we looked at the things that are threats to living life now. So the first week, we looked at discontentment, which stops us living life now. And we said, but you know, what you have in God is greater than anything you don't have in life. So you and I can be content now. We can live life now if the Lord is your shepherd. Then last week, we looked at these enemies of the soul, hurry and worry. And we said that what the shepherd does is he takes the sheep out in the morning and he calls them to follow him. And as they follow him, he creates green pastures and makes them lie down to rest. He carves out with his staff pools of quiet, still water in the gushing torrents of mountain streams. And there they can be refreshed. He restores their soul. So my question as we go on to week three is, why, God, couldn't we stay at last week? How many of you like to stay in green pastures and still waters? Wouldn't that be amazing? Could we just stay there like forever and never do anything else? But here's the thing. Sheep, okay, this is really geeky. Sheep have a propensity to a respiratory disease if they overgraze for too long. 
So it's like the shepherd who knows that comes and says, hey guys, you know, it's great that you're grazing here. It's great that you're drinking the water from the still pools. But you know what? If I leave you here too long, boys and girls, you're going to get a respiratory disease. It will not be for your good. So guys, we need to move out. We now need to go and live life and we need to go and I will guide you along right paths for my sake. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And here's the verse. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Another translation says, bringing honour to his name. Now, question. How many of you want to live life on the right path? Yeah. And what I did this week is I thought, how do I know that I'm living life on the right path? So I googled, how do I live life on the right path. The top answer that came back was some life coaching advice. Now, I'm not against life coaching. It's got its place. But this was the top answer on Google. This is how I know I'm living life on the right path. Number one, I get excited every morning when I get out of bed. Number two, I feel accomplished when I fall asleep. Number three, I feel overwhelmed with gratitude. Number four, my life feels like a grand adventure. Number five, I have fun. Number six, things just seem to work out well for me. Number seven, I do things I love. Number eight, I feel on top of my game. Number nine, I get so involved in projects that I lose track of time. Number 10, people seem to enjoy being around me. (laughs) Number 11, I do what I deeply want to do, even if it's scary. Number 12, I have great ideas. Number 13, I feel so much love for other people. Throwing that in there. Number 14, I use my imagination. And number 15, I feel deeply understood. There is a subtle theme that runs through those 15. Have you noticed what the subtle theme is? I. So how I know that I am on the right path is all about me. And yet God comes along and says, I will guide you along right paths, bringing honour to my name. It's not about us. It's about him. How do you know if you're on the right path? It depends who defines right. You know, when, when you were kids, um, some of you are still young, but some of you aren't. Uh, and when you, when you were <laughs> so young, when you were a kid, did your mom ever say to you, tidy your room? Yeah? And if you're a guy like me, okay, we went and we did, we did I think, a fairly noble gesture at uh, tidying the room. I think we, you know, we moved a few things around. We moved the underwear and the socks around a little bit on the floor, and we did a little bit of work there. And then mom came in and she said, I told you to tidy your room. He said, I have done it. He says, you call that tidy? And then what we would do to justify how untidy our tidy room was, he would say, you haven't seen my brothers, have you? Or you go and look at my sisters. And you see, what happens is that mom says, hang on a minute, you're defining tidy like that. My standard is a whole different standard. And you see, when it comes to am I on the right path or not, we need to understand who defines right path. It's not me. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's God. And the Bible says that all of us have fallen short of his standard. Every single one of us. You see, we, some of us, we do right things sometimes. Some of us, we do right things more than we do wrong things. But none of us do right things all the time. Is that right? Not when you define right by God's standard of rightness. And the Bible puts it this way in Romans 3. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. And when mom says this is tidy, her standard is here and our standard is there. And we might justify by saying, yeah, but we're not as bad as somebody else's room. But we still fall short of the mark. So there are those of you today who would say that you're a follower of Jesus, that he is your shepherd. Then I really hope that if that's the case, 
that this teaching this morning really resonates with you. And you go away saying, God, I want to lead a life that is better. I, I want to I follow you. Would you guide me along right paths for your name's sake? If this morning you've not made Jesus your shepherd, if you've not surrendered your life to him, if you've never asked him to be the Lord and the leader of your life, we really hope that you think about doing that. It will be a right path that you will not regret. That you will not regret. So here's the question again. Can I trust my one and only life into the hands of God? You see, the issue is how does, guide, how does God guide me and lead me then? I mean, how many of you know that I think the guidance and the direction of God is quite a difficult subject? Is it just me? I think it is. In fact, I heard this years ago. It's easier for me to know God's will for my wife than to know God's will for my life. Because it's easy sometimes to work out what other people should do and how they should live their lives and what right paths they should go on. It's harder for us to know for ourselves what's the right path for us. Let me just give you some common myths, okay? When it comes to knowing God's will and guidance. Number one, God must and will tell me clearly every single decision I'm to make. So I wake up in the morning and I'll wait on God and God will tell me what to wear. And God will tell me what to eat. And God will tell me what direction to go. And so I heard about this story of a guy driving through a city and, and his car stalls. He's a Christian. His car stalls in front of the Philippine embassy. So therefore he thinks God is calling him to the Philippines. Or a woman that says, you know, deciding whether she goes to Israel or not, reading a magazine about aeroplanes, reading about a Boeing 747, wakes up the next morning, looks at a digital clock, it happens to be 747, takes it as a sign to go to Israel. That is not theology, that is not guiding you, that is voodoo superstition. That is not how God guides us. Secondly, another myth, if God guides me along his right paths, I will be successful. That's a myth. That's a myth. Because it's all dependent on how you define success. You know, I love Winston Churchill's definition of success, which is this, moving from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. I love that. Now, I'm not advocating failure or that God is anti-success. But please, folks, and if you're a follower of Jesus, do not be duped by what the world says is success. That is not necessarily the right path as God defines it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you want to live your life defined by God's standards, not by the world's. Number three, there is a fail-safe formula out there. And if I can just crack the code, it'll all become clear. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. And I wrote this down to try and get it clear. You know, God's guidance, God's will for your life is more of a mystery than a formula. It's more of an adventure than a checklist. It's more of a discovery than an equation. And I want to encourage you, you know, this morning, when Jesus becomes our shepherd, he takes on responsibility. He does. He's not a shepherd just because someone gives him the job title. He's a shepherd because of what he does. And so he calls us by his voice in the morning. You know, what, it, what a shepherd would do in Israel is he'd go to the public sheepfold and there'd be all flocks of sheep all mixed up. The shepherd would go and he would speak and call out and all the sheep, they, they know his voice, they'd come to him. He'd lead them out. The Bible says he makes us lie down in green pastures that he has prepared. He then lets us drink by still waters that he has carved out. He restores our soul. He guides us along right paths. He prepares a table for us. He guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's his rod. It's his staff. It's his cup. He does it all. He does it all. When you make Jesus your shepherd, when you invite him to that, he will guide your one and only life. And if that's true, and I think it is, at times, do not be ashamed to say, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life right now. Anyone ever said that? Oh, so many times. Do not be ashamed to say, God, I don't understand what's happening. 
This doesn't feel a right path to me. And yet I want you to know, folks, that if God says, I will lead you on right paths, he will always keep his word. The path that he leads you on will always be right according to him. God can never lead you on a wrong path. God just doesn't do wrong. He always, always does right. Now, does this approach make it easy? No. Does it make it simple? No. Does it make it logical? No. Does it make it bearable? Absolutely yes. If I can come to a point where I say, God, you have, you have taken on the responsibility to lead my one and only life. I am going to trust you. It makes life bearable. It really, really does. You know, I think so many people have gone away from the shepherd and have disconnected from community and disconnected from God because of disappointment. Because they were serving God and they thought they were on the right path and yet God didn't show up with the partner that they wanted. Or their marriage fell apart. Or there was a health issue. Or they didn't get the job that they really worked hard for. Or they were overlooked at work. Or they were overlooked or in the church. And, and because of disappointment, they say, hey God, you, I don't like this path anymore that you're leading me on. And do you know what? Whenever anybody bails on God, it's always too soon. It's always too soon. Because they bailed on God in the middle of the story and they've not trusted God through the journey and seen what he can do out of that situation. And it may be, if I'm saying then, which I am, that if God guides you, he always guides you on right paths. Some of you will be asking this morning, what about my life right now, which absolutely stinks? The path that I'm on right now, you're saying that's the right path for me? Listen, the answer to that question is going to come next week, not this week. All right? Because sometimes when he guides you on right paths, sometimes that path leads you to the valley of the shadow of death where nothing feels right, where it all does feel like death, where it's all dark and you cannot see your way. But do you know what? And if you can come next week, it will blow your mind what the shepherd does when you go through those seasons. The way he changes, the way he adapts, the way he suddenly kicks into a whole different gear is breathtaking. That's what God does when you are going on a path and it ends up going through a, a dark valley of a shadow of death where everything feels wrong. The shepherd will react and respond. But right now, what I want to do this morning is, so if he leads us along right path for his name's sake, what part do we play? How is it that we can trust our one and only life into the hands of God? And there is some things that we need to do, folks. And there's three that I want to give you this morning. The first thing we need to do is this. We must stay connected to the shepherd. You see, God guides us out of relationship. That's why I love that verse in John 10 when Jesus likens himself to the good shepherd. And he says, you know what? Just like a natural shepherd, they know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So when you're connected to me, you'll know my voice. And I'll lead you and I'll guide you. And when we're connected to him, then what happens is that we follow him because he's leading. And if you're not a Christian yet this morning, if you've not made that decision, one of the biggest misunderstandings about the Christian faith is this. We think that we have to believe certain things and behave in certain ways and do certain religious things and then we can follow Jesus and be a Christian, be a Jesus follower. But what Jesus came along to do 2,000 years ago was completely turn that upside down. He said, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter how you behave, doesn't matter what you do, follow me. Just follow me. You see, religion says change and then follow. Jesus says follow and then you'll change. And it's been breathtaking to me to see so many people newer to this whole Christian thing coming in, just saying, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. Following Jesus and then he, he's changing you. And yet so many of us think, I need to change and then I can follow. But Jesus says, no, you don't. You just follow and then you'll change because I'll do it through you. 
You stay connected to me. I'll do it through you. And you'll look back and you'll think, how on earth did I get here? How did I become this? Well, you became that and you got there because you allowed him to guide you and to lead you because you were connected to him. I think that's brilliant, don't you? So, so amazing. So we must, must stay connected. Listen to this quote. God desires to be as close to you as he was to Christ. So close that he can literally speak through you. And all you need to do is to translate. So close that tuning into him is like putting on headphones. So close that when others sense the storm and worry, you hear his voice and smile. Isn't that beautiful? So whatever's happening on your path right now, if we stay connected, we'll hear his voice and we'll smile. And he'll lead us and guide us. So how do we stay connected? Well, let me just reiterate what I've been saying a lot recently. Why not every day start it connecting with him? And so find a chair in your house or somewhere else. And for 10 minutes, sit in that chair, you and God and your Bible. Read the Bible. Talk to him. Give him your day. Just start the day connecting to him. Some people have fed back to me that you know, they've been Christians a long time and they used to do this, but they've got out of the habit of it. And they shared with me recently that they've started doing it again. And it's made a radical transformation in their lives. Just stay connected to God by starting the day with 10 minutes in a chair, you and God in the Bible. And then another thing I want to encourage you to do is that's every day, but every week, do all you can to be a part of a corporate gathering of other people. Because there's something about when we gather together, whether it's like this on a Sunday or in life group, there's something about that corporate gathering that helps us stay connected to our King and our Shepherd. And and I want to say this lovingly and pastorally if I can. If Jesus needed to do it, I'm sure that you do and I do as well. Because if you read the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. So he didn't just pitch up and we had nothing better to do. He t- turned up every week to the temple as was his custom. And if Jesus needed to do it, I'm really sure that I need to do it to stay connected to the Father. And then as the day goes on and as the weeks goes on, whenever you feel discontented, whenever you feel hurried or worried, whenever your soul feels weary, find ways of plugging in. Because the Bible says that he can create green pastures and still waters wherever you are. So we've got to stay connected. Secondly, we must stay humble. You know, humility is a virtue that was invented by the early church. The ancient world knew nothing of the virtue of humility. They didn't know it. It didn't exist. And yet Christians, following Christ's example, modeled what humility really is. It's a really elusive uh, virtue to understand. You see, humility is like this. When you think you've got it, that's when you've lost it, isn't it? When you sit there thinking, oh, I'm really proud, I'm so humble, then you've kind of lost it a little bit. You know, there are two things that God hates the most. One is pride and the other is arrogance. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. And when we start saying or thinking things like, I deserve it because I'm worth it, or I'm entitled to it, we are on a dangerous, slippery slope. But when we say, God, I deserve nothing, but because of what you've done in Jesus, you've given me everything. God, what I I have in you is greater than anything I don't have in life. And God, that's humility. And that's the place that God wants us to be. When we come to that point where it's not all about me, 
It's not all about I, 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 me, me, me. It's all about he, 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 you, you, you. It's all about the fact that you guide me. You make me lie down. You restore my soul. You lead me through the valley. It's your rod. It's your staff. It's all about him. So how do we stay humble? Please beware, all right? I'm going to give you some points. Please beware ticking these off and feeling smug with yourself, okay? Because this is about how we stay humble, all right? First thing, assess yourself honestly. Do you know what? The only way to assess yourself honestly is to ask other people to speak into your life. That's a dangerous thing. It's a whole talk on its own. It's the only way we can really assess ourselves honestly by inviting others to speak into it. Don't take yourself, secondly, don't take yourself too seriously. You know, I I want to take God seriously all of my life, but I don't want to take myself too seriously. Laugh at yourself. It's a really good way of staying humble. Thirdly, celebrate the significance of others. That's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? And listen, these are massive generalization statements I'm about to make, okay? One of the things I love about American culture compared to sometimes the British or European culture is that we tend to be much more cynical and much more like, oh, they're a really good singer, aren't they? How can I pull them down? Whereas in America, they tend to generally, massive generalization, tend to celebrate other people's significance. I think that's a great thing to do. Nothing to do with American or British. What a great kingdom thing to do, to celebrate the success and the significance of other people, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if this community was a community where we see other people doing things great, not just on stage, but in other words, we celebrate that. That's one of the ways that we stay humble, celebrating significance of others. Fourthly, don't demand status, let it come to you. And I thought I had to illustrate this. And one of the places that we love to take Simeon to, our youngest son, who's, as you know, has got disability and special needs, we love to take him to the botanical gardens in, in, in Harborn, Edgebaston there. And one of the things he loves is the, is the, the butterfly um, thing, shed. What's the right word? House. Thank you. Butterfly house. And when the first or second time we took him there, he went in and there's all these big butterflies flying around and he was desperate to, to, to get one to land on his shoulder or his arm. So what he would do is he would chase them all around the place and of course he never caught one. But then he cottoned on that if he stands still long enough, the butterfly rests on him. It's exactly like that when it comes to status. So many of us chase status And we never get it. If you stand still long enough and you're connected enough to God, maybe it could rest on your shoulder. And maybe that's a word for some of us here this morning whose whole lives are being driven by by the chase for status. Stand still long enough. Stay connected to God long enough. Maybe status will rest on your shoulder. And finally, we stay humble by always living at the foot of the cross. Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, if you're not a Christian this morning, you might not understand what I'm talking about here. But you know, if you are, you really get it. That At the foot of the cross is that place where we stay humble, isn't it? And we only boast about what Christ has done in the cross. And all that we are is because of him. And when we stay humble... He then can guide us along the right path for his name's sake. So we must stay connected. We must stay humble. And finally, thirdly, we must stay open. We must stay open. If you want to know if it's the right path for you, you know, if you want to know if it's the right decision for you, I want to give you two questions. And I want to encourage you and ask you and urge you to stay open to these two questions. And this is for those of you that are followers of Jesus, okay? If you're not, this doesn't really apply to you right now. You can sit back and you can relax. 
But if you are a follower of Jesus, this really applies to you. The first question I want you to ask is this. Is it biblical? What the path that you're on right now, the decision you're about to make, the decision you have already made, is it biblical? Does it line up with what the Bible says? Now let me say something that I could get very passionate about because of time I'm not going to. Okay, We live in a culture that loves this phrase, don't judge me. Don't anyone ever heard anyone say that? Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. Can I just say something? If you're not a Christian, we have no right to judge you. Nobody should be judging you. If you are a Christian and you've accepted Christ as the Lord and the leader of your life, hey, we should judge one another. Because we have said that we are going to live lives according to a standard that God says is the right standard for your life. It's not my standard, it's God's. Therefore, we step into a whole different arena. And if you see anything in my life that doesn't match up to that, I want you to tell me because I want to put that right. So the question you need to ask is, is it biblical? amount of people that I've sat with and said, yeah, but I'm attracted to this person and I'm not married to them. And I think God says it's all right. It is not all right because it's not biblical. You do not need a word from God. He's already given it. And so you might say, yeah, but is it okay if I have sex with someone and I'm not married with them? You know it's not because that's what the Bible says. It's biblical. You know, here's a great quote. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject the Bible because it contradicts them. So is it biblical? And then secondly, ask this question, is it wise? Because you might say, oh yeah, okay, I know the Bible says I shouldn't have sex before I'm married, but it's okay if we go away and share the same bed together because we're not going to have sex. Listen, one thing is biblical and you know that. The other question is a question of wisdom. Wise up. If you want to live a right life according to God, we must stay open to God. We must ask the question, is it biblical and is it wise? And the definition of wisdom I talked about earlier in the year, in the light of my past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? So if you've been saddled with a lot of debt in your life, and that's a horrible thing, when you come to a decision which means you're going to take on more debt, that's foolishness, not wisdom. Might be all right for someone else to do it because of their past experiences are not the same as yours. If you've gone from one relationship to another and there's a cyclical pattern that keeps happening and happening and happening, do you know what? If you get into another relationship and the same, it's not wise. Break the pattern for goodness sake. Change the record. Do something different. Say, God, I want to be so connected to you, so humble, so open. Would you lead me and guide me? Is it biblical and is it wise? Final verse I want us to consider. This has become my all-time current favorite verse, okay? Because I've needed it. And all the staff know it really well. And they, they're fed up of hearing it. But you know, sometimes in life, you're on a path. And it all of a sudden goes really dark. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And you haven't got a clue what the right path is. And you don't know what to do. This is a great verse in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But sometimes all you can see is the lamp to your feet, not the light to the path. Sometimes you can't see what the path even looks like, but you can see the lamplight that God shines to the next step that you're to take. Let's be open to take the next right step. And in time, as we step into that light, he will shine more light and we'll step into it again and we'll step into it again. And eventually his light will shine on the path and you'll see the path. Oh God, thank you that I took the right steps that you shined your lamplight on back then because now I see the whole path. Why don't we pray?
You know, in life, the question isn't God, are we there yet? That isn't the question. The question is this, God, am I connected? God, am I humble? God, am I open? And you know, if you're not connected right now, and maybe your humility, maybe pride and arrogance, maybe you're just chasing the status thing or whatever. Maybe you haven't been as open to the Bible or to wisdom as you once were. Maybe today you could say, God, here I am. Here am I. God, 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 I want to connect again. God, I want to please help me to be humble. And please, God, please help me and guide me to stay open. And it may be that God has spoken to you this morning about issues in your life. Maybe you are on a trajectory right now. Maybe you're involved in a relationship and you know, you don't need me to tell you, you know it's not right. But you have justified it with all kinds of reasons and all kinds of reasons. Hey, hey, yeah, but it's not as bad as this. And yeah, but there's this and yeah, but that, yeah, but that, yeah, but that. And you know it's not right. Maybe God has brought you here today to shine a light. And when he shines a light, it is always for your good. It's always for your good. He never, ever gets anything wrong. He is never too fast. He is never too slow. He's never too loud. He's never too soft. God is always right. So Father, we just say to you this morning, God, those of us that know you, God, we want to be guided by you. God, we surrender to you again. Help us to be connected, humble and open. And God, if you've shined, if you've shone your light on our path this morning, we step into that light in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that some of us will go away and we'll make decisions and we'll stop things or we'll start things to help us to stay more connected, more humble and more open as you guide us along right paths for your name's sake. Can we trust our one and only life into the hands of God? Absolutely we can. And by the way, what's the alternative? So, Father, we surrender to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.